Um, I remember a couple things about my preschool. That's a long time ago for some of you. Uh, it's not as long. For some of you, it's a lot longer. But uh, preschool. I went to Des Moines Christian School Preschool um, a few years before Bob became the superintendent. And uh, it was back when, it was on Beaver, right? Wasn't it on Beaver? There was a, a, a church and school. And I went to, and I remember a couple things uh, about that. Um, I remember that I liked peanut butter and celery a lot. Like, that was my favorite part of preschool. I, I remember that, the peanut butter and celery with no raisins, Shannon. Just peanut butter and celery. And, uh, and I remember also that I couldn't do jumping jacks. I was, I was, it was very embarrassing, but I could not get the coordination right. And, and that might still be the case, actually. But uh, jumping jacks just didn't happen. I remember that. But, uh, but most vividly, I remember, and I'll be interested to see if my mom remembers this, I did not want to let go of my mother. I, she's like, I remember, I think I cr- created more tears in her than in me because I would just I'd wrap my arms around her leg and I remember just crying because I didn't want to be alone. I, she was dropping me off with all these strange people and a strange teacher and I, and who didn't know me and there was a group of kids that didn't know me and I didn't know them and I didn't want to be alone. For many of us, that feeling hasn't changed since we were little. That's still there. Here's what I want you to know today. I want you to know that you should be faithful and hopeful because God is always present. You are never alone. Be faithful and hopeful because God is always present. Four weeks now, we've been, this is the fourth week we're in this series on the book of Haggai. And uh, it's just been a treat to turn to a book of Scripture that we don't often turn to and, and that we don't often look at. A, 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 a book, a little short book of the Bible that has so much for us, though. And so every week, just uh, to be a faithful steward of the Word, I try to remind you of some context of what this book is about. Uh, is since he's a little-known prophet, sometimes we can't put him into the historical context in our minds. So I, I would remind you that by... Leading up to Haggai, some important things happened. First of all, God disciplined his people. He sent them into exile. He used the nation of Babylon to do that. And the temple of God was destroyed. Destroyed. God's holy temple destroyed. The people were deported 900 miles plus to Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. And in the year 536 B.C., 70 years after their initial exile... The people returned, and the Emperor Cyrus decreed that they should go back. Seventy years are gone. Go back. He gave them royal funds. He gave them gold. He gave them papers. And he said, go back and rebuild the temple of God. And so 50,000 of them, 50,000 Jews, went back to their homeland, and they returned to a wasteland. Jerusalem was in shambles. The temple was in ruins torn, utterly torn down. And they started building the foundation of the temple. But as I've reminded you the last three weeks, after a year or so of working just to lay the foundation, opposition arose, funds dried up, there was a change of power back in Persia, Cyrus was gone, Darius was in, the people quit after a year because of the hardship. And so 15 years later from that point, Haggai writes 
the words of God to the remnant of these people. And Haggai said, stop making excuses. Get back to work. Get back to rebuilding my house. And the people responded positively. They repented and they said, you're right, God. Last week's sermon, we looked at that. The end of chapter 1 is the people's positive response to God's call to get back to work. Today's passage, we need to understand between the close of chapter 1 and the opening of chapter 2, one just under a month had passed. Um, it was a chance for the people to wrap up their harvest and get things wrapped up. And, they'd be, and, uh, and in, on October 17th of the year 520 B.C., The people start this work, and God has a message for them. In chapter 2, God has a message. There's three recipients of the message. There's Zerubbabel, the governor. There's Joshua, the high priest. And then there's all the rest of the people. And God is going to address each one of those. He's going to address Zerubbabel. He's going to address Joshua, the high priest. and He's going to address the people as a whole. And he's going to tell them, be faithful and hopeful because God is present. And so today I want you to know there's, <laughs> if you're taking notes, we alliterate. I alliterated. Message community helped me alliterate. We had three Ps for you. Three Ps. There was a debate whether we should have two Ps or three Ps. Denny lost the debate. So, uh, which is, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but it has. So there you go. Uh, so three Ps today. <laughs> He's smiling back there. He lost. So there you go. Uh, three Ps. The first thing I want to look at today is the past. In the first few verses, in the first uh, three verses of Haggai chapter 2, God is going to remind them of the past. Now, you have to understand, the people looked and they said, Okay, God, we get it. The temple needs to be rebuilt. We're ready to go to work. But they sat there and they looked at this pile of rubble. And they looked at this, and they thought about this temple of what it needed to look like. And they got discouraged. You see, Cyrus, when he was the emperor of Persia, he had opened up the treasury. But it had been 15 years, and Darius hadn't offered any support. In chapter 1, we we saw God say that there had been a bad harvest that year, that fall. And so they hadn't gotten a lot of, they didn't have a lot of resources. In, In 587, the temple was destroyed. Now it's 520. 67 years had passed. Before, between the time that the temple was destroyed and Haggai is writing these words. 67 years. It's conceivable that there were people in this remnant that were in their 70s or 80s who could look back when they were a child and remember what Solomon's glorious temple looked like. And when those, those senior citizens looked back and they remembered their childhood and they looked, remembered. They remembered Solomon's temple was extravagant. It had extravagant architecture. It had lavish stones. It had quality lumber. There was exquisite craftsmanship. Gold, silver, and precious stones were everywhere. The, it was the, the, the temple, Solomon's temple, was the culmination really of two kings' work. David piled all the resources And Solomon added his own resources and put the thing together. Solomon's temple was extravagant. And it was destroyed. It was looted. It was gone. And and while Cyrus had opened up the treasury and sent him back, Darius had not. The temple that they were going to rebuild, the remnant, they knew. This temple that they were going to rebuild, it would look nothing 
like Solomon's temple. I mean, there's just no way. They didn't have the resources to put it together. They couldn't make this temple as extravagant as the one Solomon had. And they were discouraged. For many of them, they remembered the good old days of the past. A lot of these, a few of these anyway, remembered back in the glory days when Israel was a powerhouse in the world. Those were the days when God's temple was magnificent. Those were the days when God could be properly worshipped. Those were the days when everything was just perfect for the praise and glory of God. The people, the remnant, those who were setting about the work thought, there is no way that the present can compare to the past. They were going to build a tiny temple, lots of opposition. And so they thought, okay, God, I'm willing to work on this, but it's not going to be anywhere near as good as the old one. The people were discouraged. It used to be better. There's no way what they were going to do could compete with the way it used to be. Have you ever felt like that? Like the past used to be better? Like things used to be different and it was better then. Have you ever thought things just aren't going well right now? You see, sometimes there are lean times in ministry. You see, sometimes ministry goes well, but not always. Um, Thomas forwarded me a blog from uh, John Piper, and he recounts his own lean times in ministry. And he compares them to other great ministry leaders. He he says, Piper says in this blog, we always think of Billy Graham's crusades as full and successful. But it wasn't always the case. The London Evening Standard recounted a rain-soaked service on Stritham Common where Graham's music directors, Cliff Barrows, had to give up trying to play his trombone and heavier members of the platform party had to move to the center of the stage because the stage was sinking into the ground. If you live long enough, Piper says, and serve faithfully enough, you will have rain-soaked seasons and feel yourself sinking in the mud. But Graham survived, and look what God brought. Maybe you feel that way in your own spiritual life. It's a rain-soaked season. Have you ever thought, God, I miss the good old days, you know? When things used to be right, when I was close to you, When I was doing great things in your name, when your spirit seemed so alive in my life, remember those periods when I was devouring your word, God? Maybe you had a mentor that was pouring into your life. Maybe you were soaking up spiritual things like a sponge and you remember a period of your life. I remember sitting on the the top of a mountain, literally in Colorado, devouring God's word in this really intimate moment with just me and God and just soaking up his presence. And I remember that. And it was awesome. I got 5.2 kids now. When am I going to find time alone? Right. You know, uh, remember the good old days. Maybe you think God in the past, you were awesome, but you're just not working that way anymore. Maybe you feel that way about Waukee Community Church. You think, hey, seven years ago, we started this and I missed my old church. I miss the glory days because my old church was awesome. It was better when we were, maybe you think it was better when we were a really small group as a church and, and, uh, and we didn't have all these new people coming. And, you know, you think it was nice when it was just the people I knew. Maybe you think it was better in the past. Maybe you feel that way about the church in general. The evangelical church, you know, some of us would say the heyday is over. That evangelicals used to be influential, but they're not anymore. 
Lots of people seem to be praying prayers of faith, and now there's a lot of disillusionment. There's a lot of people turning their backs in the church. They grew up in the church, and they're sick of the church, and they're turning their backs. People seem to be walking away, and the greatest temptation is to think, I'm discouraged. My spiritual life isn't what it used to be. The church isn't what it used to be. God isn't working today like he used to be working. And if you're feeling that way today, God has a message through the prophet Haggai for you. He says, be faithful and hopeful because God is present. The second P that we land on in the text is is the promise. We go from the past to the promise and and really look at verses 4 and 5. I love what happens next. In the face of insurmountable odds, when everyone is discouraged, when there's no way the temple will be close to what it used to be, God speaks tenderly. Look what he says. He says, But now, verse 4, Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Be strong, he says. He first of all says it to the governor, the the politician of the day, the political leader, the one pulling all the logistics of this thing together. He says, be strong, don't be discouraged. And then to the high priest, the religious spiritual leader, the one representing God, the people to God. He says, be strong. Jehozadak, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. And then to all the people, he says, be strong. Why? Why does he say this? Why be strong? What does he mean? Why should we be strong? Are we strong because Oprah told us to look inside ourselves and find an inner strength in who we are that we can be strong? Is that why we should be strong? Are we strong because, you know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. Is that why you're supposed to be strong? Are you supposed to be strong because, well, you know, if you look really inside you, there's a, you know you could try harder. And so you need to work harder. That's why you should be strong. Our world tells us these answers, and they're lies. They're lies. Why should we be strong? God tells us we should be strong because I am with you. I am with you, he says. That's God's promise to us. Be faithful and hopeful because God is present. He is. When I read those words, be strong, I think of a different Joshua. A lot of hundreds of years before this. A different Joshua who took, was taking over for Moses. It's the same Hebrew word found in the book of Joshua that we find here in the book of Haggai. Joshua is following a great leader, Moses. Moses is gone. Joshua is taking over a, a million and a half, probably two million people he's leading. He's got a great task. There's a lot of people. He's got an enormous mission. The mission God has given him is be strong and courageous. And God tells Joshua five or six times right there. He says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. God says, it's not your strength, it's mine. 
I love that how Joshua does that. Joshua gets that command, and as you read through the book of Joshua, you see it goes from God saying to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. It goes from that. All of a sudden, Joshua, you see, about 10 chapters in, Joshua starts saying to the people, people, be strong and courageous. Why? Because God is with us. Joshua finally gets it. I love it. And then he repeats this. God takes the same promise and he repeats it to Joshua the high priest and to Zerubbabel and to all the people and to you and me. Did you know if you are a believer in Jesus, God is with you. He's with you. Maybe the past seems better to you, but he's not done with you yet. Maybe you lack the resources to change your life. He will provide the resources. That's the answer to that all the self-help books in the world can't help you with. It's not looking to yourself. It's not you can do it. It's you need Jesus. Because God is the God of the past and the present and the future. He's the God of the past. He's the God who promises and doesn't break his promise. God is always faithful to his promises. He never makes a promise that he doesn't keep. When God says something, you know it's true. And God promises to be with us. In my blurb this week, I, I uh, kind of ripped on Jack Bauer from the series 24. I don't know if any of you are 24 fans. Uh, I'm still making my way through the last season, so don't tell me what happens. But uh, I'm assuming he doesn't die in the end, but who knows? All right, so anyway, uh, Jack Bauer over, Thomas, how many seasons? Eight? Seven? Do you know? I, a lot, Okay. Every day, because it's a 24-hour day, every season he saves the world. That's just what he does. But one of the things that always bothered me is he'd run around and he'd always say, uh, I promise. He always come, you know, I'm going to save you. I promise. I promise I'm coming back for you. He just would say it so uh, poignantly. Just, I promise. And I always think, you can't promise that. Because you don't always make good on your promises. And he didn't. Sometimes he'd say to someone, I promise I'm coming back. And boom, that person's dead. You know, uh, bummer for them. Uh, Jack Bauer couldn't always keep his promises. But God can. He's always faithful. Struggling in your marriage right now? Guess what? God promises to be with you. You got a job struggle? God's with you. Are you ready to, to quit on church and Christians? God is with you. Don't quit. You, are you having a parenting problem right now? God is with you. You may be ready to quit. You may feel life is dark, but brought, God promises that he is with you. Be faithful and hopeful because God is present. The people in the land, the people in Haggai's day, they had no earthly reason to think that they could complete this work. But God's words are tender. He loves them. He's not going anywhere. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The thought of moving without God should bring terror to us. Verse 5 is, I believe, a direct reference to Exodus chapter 20, 32, 33 in there, where... Um, Moses comes down from the mount. He's got the Ten Commandments, right? And he's holding them. 
And he comes down and he's ready to give these copies of the law to the people. And they're down at the, the bottom of the mountain. The people have built this bronze calf out of, or golden calf out of their metal. They're trying to, I think they're trying to represent God because they're like, Moses is gone and we can't see God. So we'll make a, a graven image of him, which they're not supposed to do. That's one of the rules that the laws that Moses is holding in his hand. And God is just irate with the people. And finally, Moses begs on behalf of the people and God, because God is going to destroy them all. He says, I'm going to start over with Moses. And Moses talks to God and he has, um, he basically pleads with God and God says this. God says, okay, Moses, fine. I'll, the, these are the people I chose. I'll send them up to the promised land and they'll have victory there, but I'm not going with them. That's basically what happens. And Moses replies to God. He says in Exodus 33, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, God, we don't want to go without you. Don't do it. Going without you, God, isn't worth it. Moses loved the presence of God more than the blessings of God. And God promised to be with them. So back to Haggai chapter 2. I mean, we're only 900 years later. And God is referencing this kind of covenant that he made with his people. He's referencing the covenant. I promised to be with you. And I will. So do not fear. No matter how big the task, God is with you. You can accomplish the task. Be faithful and hopeful because God is present. There's a third P that I want to tackle today. The first is the past. The second is the promise. Now, this is the peace. Peace is the natural result of God's presence. When he is with us, there is no need to worry. There may seem to be no resources, but be filled with peace because he'll provide. Look at verses 6 to 8 of chapter 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. God is going to shake the nations. The people think, okay, we don't have the resources to complete this temple and make it right. But God is saying, guess what? I will shake the nations. It's, the picture here is God is this massive giant. And he picks up the rulers, the kings of the earth by their foot. And he holds them up and he shakes them. And all the money falls out of their pockets as he's shaking them on the ground. And it falls on the Jews. And he says, there you go, use this money. And use this money. And use these resources. And use this gold. That's the picture. God says, I will shake the nations. I will use the nations of the world to do my work. Because I am with you. The people are getting to the point where they're start beginning to see the vision. That the temple isn't about the people. The temple is about God. So God would make it happen. Where God's presence is, there is peace. Now, it's really interesting um, our translations kind of obscure the language here a little bit. But uh, in verse 6, he says, um, 
uh, verse 9, excuse me, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. What he's not saying here is the present temple would be better than the past temple. He's not saying that this temple would be more extravagant and richer and, and fuller in, in, in stuff than Solomon's temple. Although it can be said that later during Herod's reign, uh, right before Jesus, that Herod spruced up the temple and made it perhaps more extravagant than Solomon's. Some may have argued. But that's not the point. The, the point here is that, it's, that the temple, it's one temple... But God's glory would be greater now than before. Well, how can that be? How can the glory of God be greater now than before? Well, I can tell you, friends, that this is pointing to Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the greater glory, and he's not in the temple. He's in you and me. Did you know that the glory of Jesus in you is greater than the glory of God in the temple? Now, now, Haggai chapter 2 is quoted in Hebrews. Let me just flip over. I'll just read it. It's, it's in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 is that great chapter that says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and, uh, and that's such a great chapter in Hebrews. But at the end of Hebrews, the very end of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised... Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate that the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." The writer of Hebrews points to Haggai chapter 2, and he quotes this, and he's saying, listen, in Jesus, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God can shake the kings of this earth, and he can shake the kingdoms of this world, and he can make rulers rise and fall, and he can use the resources of this world to accomplish his purposes. Everything here can be shaken, but we are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. Is there a greater peace than that? Jesus brings peace. And we need not fear the work that God sets in front of us. We need only fear the God who gives the work. Because all the wrath of God was poured on Jesus. And now we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ. Jesus brings peace. God is with us. Look at... Matthew chapter 28. Put that up there, Brian. Then Jesus came to them and said, you may have heard this passage before, by the way. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I'm commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love how the work of discipleship, everything he just said, is contingent not on our awesome ability to be awesome people and awesomely disciple. It's contingent upon Jesus. I am with you always. Be faithful and hopeful because God is present. 
Are you discouraged today? Are you? If you're discouraged, do, do obstacles seem overwhelming? Do you wonder if things will ever be good, as good as they used to be? God's promise is great, and his presence brings peace. Our job is to be faithful. His job is to be present. There's all kinds of things that God sets in front of us, and sometimes we look at them and say, God, just like the, the, the remnant of people in Haggai, God, I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills to accomplish that. I don't have the ability to do that. I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to do that. There's all kinds of things that set in front of us. God's promise is to be faithful. God's promise is to be present. Our job is to be faithful. I, mean, I think of Jeff was talking about Faith in Action Sunday coming up, April 29th. It's coming up quickly. And this is a big deal for us. It's a big deal for us to say, hey, you know, uh, we're going to get out of our really comfortable folding chairs <laughs> and, and go into the community and serve, right? I mean, it's a big deal. And, and some of us go, whoa, man, that might be a day like today where you go, I might just sleep in that Sunday because that's uncomfortable. Or I don't have, what am I going to do? I don't know how to do any of that stuff or you know, oh, I got kids. What am I going to do with my kids? Or, I mean, there's a million reasons to not. You know, some of us say, what if there's no work to do? Or what if people don't want us to help them? Or what if I'm uncomfortable? Or what if someone makes me do something that I'm not equipped to do? And we, all those things are out of fear. But God says, don't fear. Why? Because he's with us. Be faithful and hopeful because God is present. Our work in this world that he gives us is dependent always upon him. And he gives us the greatest encouragement in Haggai chapter 2. He says, I am with you. Be faithful and hopeful. No matter what the past, God has a promise. And it's to be present. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are grateful for your faithfulness. To that end, we want to sing today. To that end, we want, we want to worship you. And this is the purpose of the church, to lift up and glorify your name. One of the great purposes of the church. And so we worship you fully. And we celebrate that you're kind, the kind of God that doesn't change. You're faithful to your promises. And you equip us to do the work. Jesus, God, I, I pray, Heavenly Father, I pray for those here today who are discouraged. Would you speak tenderly to them? Would you remind them of your nearness, that you are with them always? Holy Spirit, would you be prompting us? I pray that in the lean times, we remember the rich times of your faithfulness. Jesus' name.